Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. So if you're new, my name is Kurt. I am one of the pastors here at Crosswinds. And we are in a special four-week series we're doing here in the end of July, just before we kick off in this fall. It's called, What Does the Bible Say About Sexuality? And this morning, we're looking at a very interesting, uh, not necessarily a controversial topic, but a very difficult topic called transgender. What does the Bible say about transgender? And when you think about transgender, there's one key name that comes to mind. It's been on the news so much recently, and that is Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner was, for most of his life, known as the all-American male. He was a gold medalist in the 1972 Montreal uh, Olympics, and he was considered for the part of Superman. He was also considered for the part of James Bond. He was considered the all-American male. He had an amazing athletic career. He was a father. He was wealthy. Things seemed to be going great for him. But then people started to notice that he began to take on a softer, more feminine appearance. Rumors started to circulate, and finally, on April 24th, 2015, in an interview with Diane Sawyer, he came out of the the closet, and he said that he has always felt inside that he was a woman and not a man, and that he was changing his gender, and he says that for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. Call me Caitlin. Now, he was not your stereotypical uh, cross-dressing type, because in the interview, he he claimed he was a a Republican. He he claimed that he was a a Christian. And he says in this interview with Diane Sawyer that he would um, sit in church and he would wonder, he says, I wonder, what does God really think about me? What does God think about all this? And that's a good question. What does God think about Bruce Jenner? What does God think about transgender and cross-dressing and and sex changing? What does God think about all these different things? And we're going to find out an answer for that today. Well, let me just give you, by way of introduction, some biological information, some background terms. We often call this uh, idea of those people who struggle, where they are biologically one gender and mentally they feel they're a different gender. We typically call that transgender. And sometimes you'll see it called transgender issues. That's a, a, a good way to describe it because somebody is suffering from a transgender issue. Medically, it's called gender dysphoria. So you'll see that sometimes when you look at the journals and you see this out in public. Gender dysphoria is when you think that you've got one gender in your mind and a different gender in your body. And it it would seem that there's a lot of people who would be suffering from this. Because you look at the press, it seems like it is everywhere. The reality is it's a very rare condition. 
Statistics say that it's one in every 20,000 men at one time in their life may suffer from that or wonder about that, and one in every 34,000 women may suffer from this or wonder about this at some time in their life. The doctors who do sex change surgery are extremely rare. There are only 20 of them in existence today. It's a very rare thing. But for years, uh, gender dysphoria, it was always considered a psychological abnormality, a, a mental condition. But more recently, if you study this subject, people are beginning to think that there's actually a biological root for this psychological condition. And you'll see this in the media. It's called a hormone wash theory. And the idea is that when a child is in utero, the hormones do not wash over the body in an equal way. And so the body becomes one gender, but the mind becomes a, an, another gender. And this is actually, it's just a theory there is no proof of it, but any time you study uh, transgender or transsexuality, you will see this talked about all the time, and it is oftentimes considered as a fact, a biological basis for why transgenders have this mixed um, identity. It's not a fact. It's just a theory. Now, in our culture, the popular view is that what should happen to those who are transgender, where, for instance, they're a male on the outside, but they feel in their mind that they're a woman on the inside. The popular view is that the compassionate thing is to give them sex change surgery and to allow them to align mentally and physically. And if you read some of the statistics and studies out there, it would seem like sex change surgery is definitely the answer. For instance, the National Health Services website in Britain that I referenced this week says that sex change surgery has a 96% satisfaction rate with those who go through with it. Is this true? Is sex change surgery the way to solve what is this vocal group of transgender people who are suffering with transgender, euphor uh, transgender issues? Let's find out this morning. And I want to uh, look at our message under really three headings. And I want you to take good notes because there's a lot of research that I went into this, by the way. Uh, there's not a lot of writing about this, so this is honestly fresh research I put a lot of my footnotes right in the outline for you, but I have a lot more footnotes in my manuscript. I think I have about 16 footnotes from sources because it's just not talked about yet. So this is cutting-edge stuff. We're going to, number one, look at what does science really say about those who are suffering from transgender dysphoria. Number two, we'll look at what does the Bible say about gender dysphoria and those who are interested in cross-dressing and sex change. And number three, we need to stop and look at how does the church minister to those who are sexually confused? Really, the people who are struggling with all the different issues that we've talked about throughout this series. So you guys ready to jump in? Okay, thank you. Number one, what does science say about gender dysphoria? And you need to know this right off the top. Transsexuals commit suicide at an astounding rate rate. 
Uh, you see in the media, you see Bruce Jenner, and you see this transsexual uh, idea, and they're always portrayed as happy, and finally they have gender alignment between their mind and, and their body. But if you actually look at the statistics and the studies, it is a completely different picture. Number one, for the first study I ran across, one study claims that transsexual suicide, transsexuals commit suicide the rate is 25 times greater than the general population. 25 times more likely. Another website dedicated to trans, the transgender lifestyle claims that the transgender mortality rate is between 60 to 70 percent. 60 to 70 percent of transsexuals, they claim, at some time in their life, in some way, either from botched hormones injections or from... from uh, self-mutilation or from suicide will die. Number three, 31% of those that commit suicide in our country are transgender. Number four, between 30 to 50% of transgender patients commit suicide either just before or in the year after their sex change surgery. Number five, up to 90% of those that undergo sex reassignment surgery cannot be found for follow-up because they either commit suicide or they're addicted to drugs and alcohol or they have returned to their birth gender or they do not want to be found. So what you see pictured in the media as a sex change surgery is the answer and it get, results in a happy life is completely untrue. Those who are suffering from transgender dysphoria are a very unhappy, frustrated, and confused group. And they're killing themselves at an astounding rate. They're very much in need of Jesus. They're very much in need of compassion and love. No, transgender activists, they come back and they say, well, you know why so many people are killing themselves? It's because they're bullied. It's because they're, they're not accepted by society and they feel so much pressure that they just kill themselves because of it. But that actually doesn't work. Here's something else I found. Transsexuals are not bullied into suicide. They consistently harm themselves by cutting and self-mutilation, which is a sign of an underlying psychological condition. Cutters and self-mutilators, they cut and they mutilate because they say, I can't accept myself. They are trying to find a way of atoning for their own sin. In other words, I know that I have sin I have to deal with, and so somebody has to suffer for that sin, and so I'm going to make myself suffer for my sin. It's not because somebody else made them feel bad. It's because they feel bad about themselves. So when we think of those who are transgender, I know the initial reaction is to think these people are scary. I, I want to walk on the other side of the street. Uh, you know, I, I have to tell them their sin is wrong. But our initial reaction, I think, needs to be that these people are in desperate need of Jesus. They're in desperate need of finding out that God 
has sent His Son to die in their place for their sin. Very important for us to begin with. The second thing we need to know from science is that transsexuals are not born that way. Because this is the often what you hear. I was born with a woman's body or a woman's mind in a man's body or vice versa. That's the very popular theory. And I told you already about this uh, hormone wash theory that in utero, a fetus during development had the brain uh, washed with estrogen while the rest of the body was washed with testosterone and so they developed in opposite directions or vice versa. That's a theory. Let me just tell you this. Number one, the hormone wash theory is just that. It is a theory. There is no hard evidence to demonstrate that cross-gender identity is something that is physiologically determined by a hormone imbalance in the womb. It's not there. The other one you hear, I was born that way, and it's my genes. I can't help it. I was born with a homosexual gene, or I was born with a transgender gene. Once again, I've put the... Uh, the research in here for you. The Human Genome Project, which identified all human DNA, found there is no such thing as a homosexual or transgender gene. That biologically, those who are homosexual and those who are transgender are identical to you and me. There is no genetic difference and there is no established uh, fetal developmental difference. Now, why? Why are transgenders so incredibly interested in establishing a biological basis for their transgender desires? Do you ever think about that? Well, here's the first reason. Because they can say that I'm not responsible for my actions. I was born that way. I, I can't help it. It's sort of like an excuse. The other reason is funding. If you are born with a birth defect, like a cleft lip, cleft palate, your insurance will pay, right, to get it fixed. Or if there's a problem, like a broken arm, right, the insurance will pay to get it fixed. If they're able to establish a biological basis for transgender desires and say, well, I was born with a birth defect, and the insurance will pay to get the sex change surgery. Between $20,000 to plus and over $70,000 then comes out of our insurance pocket. So this is the reason there's a great desire to find a biological basis for transgender desires. There has not been one found. Number three that you need to know about this from a scientific standpoint. Most transsexuals struggle with underlying psychiatric disorders. Very important. Uh, this comes out of a Dutch study of psychiatrists that transsexuals struggle with something called comor comorbidity. And let me explain. That's a big medical term. It simply means that there are two diseases or two problems in a patient. One is oftentimes a secondary problem, 
And there's a primary underlying problem that may generate that secondary problem. And transgender issues, transgender desires are oftentimes a result or come from comorbidity and they're a secondary result of an underlying primary illness. For instance, 25% of transsexuals suffer from schizophrenia. One in every four. 75% of those who are struggling with transsexuality uh, have been already diagnosed with psychiatric illness, personality disorders, or mood dissociative disorders. So they've been diagnosed with a severe psychiatric condition already. And then on top of that, they have the transgender desires. Now, doesn't this start to explain things? Can't you see where this is going? Now, here's where it gets interesting. Psychologists are prohibited by law from discouraging gender reassignment surgery even if they feel there is an underlying psychological disorder. The lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender lobby group has had such a strong influence on our legal system and I have not been able to document this all the way across the country. I've seen it talked about, but I've only been able to see documentation for this about New Jersey specifically. But I've also seen it's across the country. That if you are a psychologist and somebody has transgender issues and they want to have transsexual surgery and sex reassignment surgery and you think it's because they have um, mood dissociative disorders or they have schizophrenia as an underlying illness, you are prohibited by law from discouraging the sex reassignment surgery. So the very doctors that were intended to protect their patients from life-altering, irreversible harm are prohibited by law now from doing it. This is a very serious and scary situation. Number four, let me tell you about Dr. Cotton. Now, he's an older guy. He lived in, from 1876 to 1933. And what I want to tell you about him is he believed that physiological surgery was one of the ways to solve psychological conditions. Physiological surgeries were the way to solve psychological conditions. Now, in that time, what people were discovering was they're discovering bacteria and a lot of these things that would influence people. And what he began postulating as a psychologist is that when people suffered from mental disorders, it was because of a bacteria was in their body. Now, he said, where is the most bacteria-infested place in, you know, in your body? And he said, well, it's your mouth, you know. So there must be bacteria, he said, in the teeth that are causing psychological illnesses in the mind of people. So he said, if you just pulled people's teeth, they would be mentally cured. Now, you're laughing, but this, this is serious. So this guy proceeded to pull people's teeth. Now, he also said if people were suffering from um, psychological sexual problems, you can imagine where he thought the bad bacteria was located at. And he also took off body parts. Now, 
to give you an idea of how much this guy did between, just between the years of 1918 and 1925, I was able to found he, uh, he uh, did 2,186 body part removal surgeries, all in the name of science to cure psychological conditions. And get this, he claimed an 80% success rate. I think the guy with the underlying psychological condition was Dr. Cotton himself. It's sort of obvious. But isn't just, just the same thing that is going on with transsexuals and the idea of surgery, physiological surgery to solve what is a psychological condition? The psychological condition is I, I, I'm a woman caught in a man's body. So the physiological surgery is we'll just change your body to be that of a, a woman irreversibly. Physiological surgery does not repair a psychological condition. We're going to dive into that more as we get towards the end of the sermon here. I've given you some of the scientific background, and I think that was a, probably a real eye-opener for you on this particular subject. Now let's look at the biblical issues. What does the Bible say about gender dysphoria? Number one, gender is God-given, not self-constructed. Gender is God-given, not self-constructed. We see this right away in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, two genders only, he created them. So God created gender. God created you. God gave you your gender. If there's any doubt, there's always a mirror. You can find out what your gender is. You know, you let's look in the mirror yourself, you'll see. And what we do is we simply submit to what God has given us with gender. Now, for us, that's sort of obvious, but not in our culture. Our culture says that gender is self-constructed. You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a biological male, but you you can change yourself if you want. If you choose, you can become a woman. You can change yourself to be whatever you want out there. Where does this come from? Ultimately, it is rooted in a deep-seated rebellion against God and the way that God made you. Isn't it? Creating your own gender is deep-seated rebellion against God and the way God made you. You can see this on Facebook. If you guys want to check this out, go ahead and put that up there if you can, Jeremy. Gen or this is Facebook. Gender now, or Facebook now has 58 different gender types that you get to choose which one you are. Incidentally, they now have a 59th one, which is fill in the blank. I know, Chris, control yourself here. He's laughing at this. But the point is that gender, according to popular culture, is what you determine and what you create. But the Bible says, no, gender is something that God created in you 
and all you can do is submit to it and go with it. And if you don't submit to it, it's rebellion. Number two, God prohibits gender switching. Very clear in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. You notice in your outline I'm using the New American Standard instead of the ESV for this. The reason I'm doing that is because most modern translations take two Greek words which are very similar about homosexuality. They're different. But they uh, translate them as one, just nor homosexuals. The New American Standard, which is very wooden and literal, actually breaks them apart. And they are translated in English as nor the effeminate ones, nor the homosexuals. And we covered these words when we were looking at homosexuality. And let me just break them apart for you. The first one, which is translated as nor homosexuals, is there are senokoitoi. Literally it means men who take men to bed. It is men who function in a masculine way, but they take other men to bed. That's homosexuality, isn't it? God says none of that. But then there's this other word, malakoi. And technically it means the soft one or the effeminate one. Literally it means men who sexually function in a feminine way. So in a homosexual relationship, there is a man who functions in a masculine way, and there is a man who function in, functions in a feminine way. And the Greek actually breaks those apart. And he's saying here, men who function in a feminine way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's not just talking about homosexual men. It's talking about men who function in a feminine way sexually. It's not talking about men who happen to like the color pink. It's not talking about men who are really good cooks instead of their wife. It's talking about how men sexually function. So, this obviously doesn't just include the female role in homosexuality, but it also covers men who are cross-dressing because they're trying to function in a feminine way. And men who are taking opposite-sex hormone injections, like often transgenders do. And men who have sex reassignment surgery to be as feminine as they possibly can be. Very clearly, against God's desires. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 7. Now, this is a difficult verse, but we're gonna, it'll make sense for you. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her head be covered. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Now, we could get easily tied up 
in all the different cultural nuances of hair length in first century Corinthian society. We're not going to go there right now. One thing is painfully obvious out of this passage. Paul is saying, guess, guess what? Men should look like men, and women should look like women. That men shouldn't look like women, and women shouldn't look like men, because it dishonors the gender that God gave them, that they are to display. Now, culturally, do, we, do men dress and act a little differently now than they did in first century society, and do women dress and act a little differently now than they did in first century society? Well, of course, but men should look like men, and women should look like women, and there shouldn't be any confusion on those issues. If there is, it's dishonoring to our God-given gender identity. And it continues. You go to the Old Testament. A woman shall not wear a man's garment. Well, that's pretty clear. Nor shall a man wear a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to your Lord or your God, the Lord your God. My eyes are bad. The idea here is that Moses says no cross-dressers allowed. If cross-dressing is an abomination to God, men taking estrogen therapy is a real abomination to God. Or men having a sex change surgery is a real abomination to God. You see where, where this is going? So when someone claims that they are actually a woman trapped in a man's body, what they need to realize is the problem is a deep-seated rebellion against the way that God created them. That's where it's rooted from. Now, that for some people that may be more willful and conscious, and for other people that may be less conscious than others, but it's still the same thing, deep-seated rebellion against God. And quite honestly, this whole thing reminds me of junior high. You guys remember junior high? Remember those super awkward stages where you really did not like your body? You did not like the way God created you? I remember that very clearly. I was tall, tallest guy in my class, skinny as a rail, did not like the way God created me at all. It was like awkward, you know. I just grew so fast. And we were joking about kickball, you know. Remember, that was my favorite uh, outdoor activity. You know, I was the guy who'd go to kick the ball and miss and then fall on my butt because I didn't have any athletic coordination. And I, at one time in my life in junior high, was so disgusted with who I was and how God created me. I remember crying again and again, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm awkward. People laugh at me. I just feel weird. I hate my body. I hate the way you created me. I remember praying about this and crying about this and reading my Bible about this. And one time, I can still remember it, this phrase popped into my head. And it changed my life. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And He made you. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And He made you. And I wasn't a piece of junk. And I'm not a mistake. He made me just the way He wanted me to be. 
to do exactly what he wanted me to do. I'm not the smartest. A lot of people out there are much smarter than me. Not the most athletic, not the most coordinated. I've had foot and mouth disease since a child, and I've never outgrown it. But you know what? God, I'll submit to you because you created me. And I, you made me the way you want me to be. And I think you can say that very same thing to those who are struggling with transgender issues. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God made you. He made you just the way you wa He wanted you to be. The biological gender that you have is the gender He wants you to have. He didn't make mistakes and give you one gender in your mind and another gender in your body. He didn't. Number three, when we look at this from a biblical standpoint, transgender desires, they're rooted in sin. They are. And I think one of the reasons the church doesn't often understand this is because we don't have a good understanding of sin. Sin influences everything. That means there's a reason we die because of how sin has influenced this world. There's a reason we struggle to do what's right because sin has influenced our wills, right? But sin also influences our thinking. So we can't often think straight apart from Jesus Christ changing our heart and our lives. Let me show you what I mean. Romans chapter 1. Look at how it talks about sin influencing our thinking. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie <coughs> and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And notice this. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That sin influences thinking. It influences the mind. And as you saw in here, sin influences sexuality, homosexual desires, you know, fornicating desires influences the mind. Transsexuality is a psychological thing, not a physiological thing. It's an issue of sin. And what I think was the most interesting, when I was doing my research, I ran across some stuff by John Hopkins. Johns Hopkins used to be the premier place for sex reassignment surgery. Ten years into their sex reassignment surgery program, they decided to do a sex reassignment surgery follow-up 
to see how successful the sex reassignment surgery is working on transsexual patients. Well, the first thing to remember is they had a hard time finding a lot of them. Because remember, 90% of them on average cannot be found after the surgery, either from suicide or going back to their original gender or wanting not to be found. But John Hopkins, it's one of the best hospitals in the nation. It has the strictest screening criteria for, uh, for patients, and especially for transsexual patients. These would be the, the best candidates for that surgery. So they took 50 patients of their best they were able to find, and they studied their lives. And they found that of these patients, of the 50 patients, they all broke down into just two groups. And these are the groups. Either they are guilt-ridden homosexual men looking to become more effeminate in their homosexual relationships, number one, or they were older cross-dressing men eager to advance their cross-dressing fantasies to a surgical level. Somebody look up Bruce Jenner's age. Here's what they found. No patients experienced better work, relational, or emotional engagement after their surgery than before their surgery. The surgery produced zero help for anybody after 10 years. In fact, look what Dr. Meyer, who is the head of the John Hopkins surgery, Sexual Surgery Reassignment Program, said this. He said, my personal feeling is that surgery is not a proper treatment for a psychiatric disorder. And it's clear to me that these patients have severe psychological problems that do not go away following surgery. As a result of this study, John Hopkins completely shut down their sex reassignment surgery program and they do not do it any longer. It did not cure anything. The problem was not a problem with their body being the wrong gender. The problem is their mind. And they need sin forgiven and they need Jesus Christ to make them into a completely new creation. That's what the answer is. How should the church love those who, how should the church love the sexually confused? What do we do when somebody comes in the door and they're a normal heterosexual couple but they're living together? What do we do in that day in the future when a homosexual couple walks in those front doors and they're holding hands? What do you do when you're at the coffee bar, you're talking to somebody, and you realize that woman has a very strong chin line, and you think you know why? How do we respond as a church? Here's what you need to know. It's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Here's what you take into consideration. Number one, how do we respond to the unchurched? Those are people who have no idea what the Bible says. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They just sort of walked in the door. Everything is new to them. And the first thing we want to talk about is their sexual identity issue and their sexual sin. And that's probably the last thing we need to start talking about. What we need to do is build a bridge. We need to build a relationship. We need to build a friendship. We need to not say they're scary and push them away. We need to be open and be relational and friendly with them. Get them under the preaching of God's Word. Ask to have a Bible study with them. Let the Word do its work. Remember, the Word is living and active and powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. The Word will do work in their lives. Second category, 
How do we respond to the struggling? Those are people who have come to church, they've trusted in Christ, and they know that transgender is wrong. They know that homosexuality is wrong, but they're struggling to, to walk this way. You know what we do? We come around them and we support them. We pray with them. We love them. We, we, we care about them. We help them. Now, may there be times that some tough love is needed and some direct conversations, of course, but that comes out of love, not out of hate. Lastly, how do we handle the rebellious? Those are people who have trusted in Jesus Christ, and they know that transgender is wrong. They know that heterosexuals living together are clearly apart from God's desires. But they just, like, flip God off and say, I'm doing my own thing, and you can't do anything about it. That's called confrontation, loving confrontation. Because it's uncomfortable, isn't it? But that's what we have to do. In love, we confront. We say, hey, I know what the Bible says, and I know what your life is going like, and they're not lining up, and I care about you. We have to confront. Well, we began by talking about Bruce Jenner. And we all know the Bruce Jenner story, but we, most of you probably don't know Laura's story. Laura um, was a very attractive blonde woman, very curvaceous, if you know what I mean. She grabbed the attention of men and women whenever she, she walked into a room. She was in her mid-40s, and one day while meeting with her psychologist, she just said, you know, I've really been thinking about go, going back to church. Where should I go to church? Her psychologist, who was a Christian, uh, sent her to a church, and the first church she went to at first seemed to accept her, but once they got to know her more, they, they rejected her. Thankfully, she didn't completely walk away. She went on to another church, and eventually she found a church that when they discovered her secrets, they didn't kick her out. They loved her and they cared for her. Because as Laura trusted in Jesus Christ, she went from being unchurched to being struggling in the church. In fact, that church was so cool, they set up 30 prayer partners who prayed for her secretly each week. And she had to write a prayer letter to those prayer partners who prayed for her every week, 30 people. Now, as you might be able to guess, Laura is not really Laura. Laura is a surgical woman. Laura was born with the name of Walt. This is a true story, by the way. Walt grew up in a home where he didn't get a lot of love from his parents. His parents would often send him to his grandparents, and his grandmother would dress him in women's clothes all the time, force him to dress that way. His grandfather sexually molested him continually. He was very frustrated very confused as a young man. He eventually went to an Episcopal priest to ask for help. And instead of finding help, that Episcopal priest homosexually propositioned him. He left the church and wanted nothing to do with it until into his mid-40s after having a sex reassignment surgery. You see, what happened was uh, when Walt grew up, he had this constant feeling. He says, as long as I can remember, I always felt like on the inside... In my mind, I was a woman, but I repressed those feelings. I pushed them down. In fact, Walt actually uh, worked on the Apollo program for NASA, 
as a man, Walt married and have had children as a man. Walt was part of the Toyota group that launched Acura. That was one of his projects. This is a true story. But finally, in his 40s, the midlife crisis of all the problems he had as a child just burst to the surface. He left his wife. He left his children. Ultimately, went through sex reassignment surgery. But even after that surgery and becoming a very attractive and noteworthy woman, he knew something wasn't right. And he kept saying, I wonder what God thinks of me. Does that sound familiar? And that's what brought him back to the church, what led him to faith. But after he came to faith, there were years of struggling. He, he would go to work as a woman named Laura, change in the car on the way home, and be a man back where he lived, and vice versa. He just couldn't seem to get it all sorted out. What eventually happened is he worked in the psychiatric field, and a psychiatrist said, you know what I've noticed? Your handwriting is different when you're Laura than when you're Walt. The foods you like are different from when you're Laura to when you're Walt. I think you have a multiple personality disorder. The psychologists, a number of psychologists worked with him. They discovered that as a child, in an attempt to repress all the sexually garbage stuff that was done with him, he had developed a multiple personality disorder, the other personality being a woman. He eventually was able to get those personalities fused back together into one through years of treatment. And amazingly, as a Christian, he actually went on to become the director of care ministries at a church in California. I think he's still working there today. And uh, he actually got married. Got married again, but it's not the same as it was before. Because now he's a surgical woman. In fact, he has a letter from the doctor that performed a surgeon. A letter of apology saying we would have, should have never performed a physiological surgery for what now we know was a psychological condition. We should have dug further. Today, he runs a website, sexchangeregrets.com. You can send your outline. You can go check it out. You can see pictures of him. Why don't you put him up there, Jeremy? That's Walt. Walt working on the Apollo program. Walt having transitioned to a woman. And Walt today. And Walt says that, you know, Jesus Christ is what changed him. Jesus Christ is the one who really, you know, gave him the desire and the clarity of mind to realize that he was to go with the surgery that God gave him, not the surgery or not, not the identity that uh, he thought he had. You see, what Bruce Jenner needs and what the Bruce Jenners in our neighborhood need is not cross-hormone therapy. It's not sex change surgery. They don't need to fix the perceived problems from the way God made them in their first birth. They need a new birth. They need Jesus Christ to be born again. It's the same problem that we all have because all of us are messed up on the inside. All of us have things about us we don't like. And the only way to find hope is through Jesus. Amen? Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for the fact that 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a completely new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
Thank you, Jesus, that when we come to you, you don't just fix us eternally, but you fixed us psychologically and emotionally and mentally, and you help us to think clearly. Lord, I, I, I thank you for the creating new life inside of minds that are confused. I pray for us as a church that we would think clearly and lovingly and compassionately to those that we may run across who are struggling, struggling with transgender issues. Help us to be the very hands and feet of Jesus. And we pray that the Word would do its work in their life. And great testimonies like Walt Heyer about people who are completely changed for what you have done in their life. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.